Hello and welcome back to another episode of You Want to Do What. Today we've got Will on and Will specialises in blockchain within law. Hi Will. Hi Dan, how are you? Great, thank you. How are you? Very well, thank you. A little bit warm in Bath here. It's about, yeah, uh, yeah it's feeling toasty. <laughs> it makes a nice change, doesn't it? It does, yeah. I'm enjoying it. Um, well, should we jump straight in then? Do you want to tell everyone a bit about what you do? Yeah, definitely. So I'm a lawyer and I specialize in the very, well, for now, niche area of blockchain or distributed ledger technologies. My background is that I started uh, in a city law firm, uh, one of the big ones, and worked there for four years uh, as a banking sort of financial uh, services type lawyer. Uh, and then I worked, actually, I moved to the south of France for four years in an interesting career uh derogation uh, there was a, a lady involved and it was meant to be just one year it ended up being a few more than that because it turns out that it's really nice in Montpellier and so <laughs> I <laughs> uh who knew right um and so I got admitted to the Montpellier bar as their first solicitor uh, which involved if you know anything about doing anything in France it involved an awful lot of paperwork and shrugging <laughs> um, because there was something, but it's not possible. Then it is possible. It's not possible. And there's a lot of that. And then, um, uh, yeah, I was sworn in and got a job working in France uh, by emailing every lawyer at the Montpellier bar, which is over a thousand, um, by a lot of copying. It took 11 hours to copy and paste a lot of email addresses uh, and invited everyone that would meet me for a coffee or a lunch and got about 150 replies. Wow. 45 uh, coffees and, and lunches and two job offers, one of which is at a big national law firm called Fidel in France. Uh, and so I joined their corporate finance practice in Montpellier. Uh, and so I was traditional venture, venture capital um, lawyer and, and structured finance with the Paris office. So I worked with a lot of tech companies. And one day a partner came to me and he said, what do you know about blockchain? And I said, uh, diddly. And he said, well, you, you need to know a lot because it's going to be really huge so i did what everyone does in that situation and googled it and didn't understand anything uh, and then thought okay went to amazon what are the top books because uh, I, I like to read a lot um and so i just started reading uh, books about it and then completely fell down the rabbit hole and became a convert uh, into the blockchain tribe and then decided that was all i wanted to do uh, as a lawyer but um, convincing law firms to hire me to do that was difficult, uh, yeah. to say the least. Uh, we came back to the UK in 2018. I actually had a little girl along the way. And I wanted to be back near family. And um, yeah, I got it. I had a job uh, as a corporate slash blockchain lawyer that turned out to be very much a corporate lawyer. Uh, <laughs> and so that didn't really work out. And then um, another one where I was allowed to do a bit more blockchain. Uh, and finally, now where I am at, at Stevenson Law, which is a, a small, so we're 25, say boutique law firm, uh, 25 lawyers, uh, all um, without blowing away in trouble, but, but fairly competent in what we do. And uh, Alice, who's the founder, is a bit of a sensation. She started a movement about being different as a law firm and she's just unleashed me. So it's now all I do. And um, it's been I only started in January. It feels like a lifetime, and it's been it's been super exciting. Uh, so uh, yeah, that's I guess a little bit about me uh, to date. I, I love the fact that you're specialising in blockchain because that's such a you know it's a buzzword at the moment, isn't it? Everybody's talking about blockchain yeah. and yeah, how it's going to affect the world. But I 
I still don't really understand what it is. I think I've oh, read about I'm 100 so, articles. I'm so glad you asked me that. But, <laughs> is it Dan or Daniel? Sorry, I don't know. I want to... Dan, Dan's fine. Dan, but but what, what actually is blockchain? In your simplest, you know, layman's terms, what is blockchain? Are you seated, seated comfortably? Okay, so I'm going to tell you a little story because uh, as humans, we uh, absorb information best when it's told as a story. And in the abstract, and it is a bit abstract, it's quite hard to digest and figure out what's going on. So uh, the story of blockchain is that around about 2007, 2008, there was something called the credit crunch or the financial crash, which if you're old enough to remember, was a bit of a disaster um, with banks being over leveraged or basically buying too many of things called collateralized debt obligations, other instruments they didn't understand and losing an awful lot of money and causing the real estate or, or being involved in the real estate housing market collapsing. Uh, people lost a lot of money, a lot of jobs lost. I'm sure you know all about this. So there were a group of people that at this point got together and thought, well, hang on a minute, these banks have an awful lot of power. And if you didn't know this, Dan, uh, something like 96 or 97% of all money that is created is created by banks when they lend. Wow. And actually only 3% comes from the government or is centrally issued. Uh, so it's the whole way that our society, or our, um, our economic system works is by banks. So what's called commercial bank lending. Um, and they're an elected institutions. They have an awful lot of power now, um, a lot beyond what their original remit was of just looking after our money. Um, and so, yeah, these guys got together and said, look, well, we want to create a financial system that would work without these unelected intermediaries as banks. Um, but there's a real problem with that. And it's called the double spend problem, which is that if I was to give you £10 now, let's imagine for a wonderful moment that we're in the same room. And I was to give you £10 in cash. Uh, there's no question that I can't then give that to anyone else. It's definitely transferred from my property and my ownership into your hands. Mm -hmm. um, with digital, it's a bit different because with digital, everything digital can be copied easily, right? So with an email, if I send an email, I'm actually not sending the original. I'm sending a copy of that and the original stays on my hard drive. Mm -hmm. And you know how easy it is to copy photos. and Everything's very easy to, to copy if it's digital. So with money, we trust the banks at least still to debit my Monzo account and credit your Coots account or whoever it is that you bank with. Mm -hmm. um, uh, we trust them to do that right. So if you get rid of that intermediary, if you get rid of that bank, then how do we know that I don't send you to £10 and immediately send another digital £10 to someone else or someone else, someone else, okay? So you need to create a technology that replaces the trust or the trust gap, I should say, between yeah. us because we've never met. You need something that will bridge that, right? Mm -hmm. So they came up with this idea of blockchain and the way it works, they got inspiration from um, 400 years ago, an island in the middle of the Pacific Ocean called the Island of Yap. And this island's monetary system was based on something called rye stones. And so the story goes, a group of guys got in a canoe one day and paddled off to an island that was a significant distance away and found these beautiful green rocks on that mm -hmm. island. And they, they didn't exist on their home island of Yap. So they hacked off big chunks of these rocks, put them in their canoe and at great expense and pain, pa paddled them all the way back to their island, dumped them on the ground there and they were carved into jewelry. Uh, mm -hmm. And they, they had value because they were scarce. They didn't exist on that home, their home island of Yap. And then they carved them to these big things called rye stones. So there were these huge, you can Google it, R-A-I, rye stones, mm -hmm. huge discs of stone, massive, not like coins, but really big discs of stones with holes in the middle to be moved, if ever, on using bamboo poles. And the chief of the village would have a huge rye stone outside of his house. 
to show what a big deal he was mm-hmm. uh, and others would have smaller ones uh, and so if the chief of the village wanted to spend some of that rice then the way he would do it is gather all the villagers around so let's say there are about 40 villagers he said okay everyone gather around i'm going to buy something now listen up and he said okay well i'm going to take a third of my rice stone and give it to greg in exchange for his house i don't know what the names of the people on the island 400 years ago in the middle of pacific Ocean west <laughs> let's say greg um so i'm going to give it to greg in exchange for his house has everyone got that is everyone listening yeah. and everyone's like yes yes we're listening we're listening so that if the next day one of them was like he didn't give it to greg he gave it to me everyone else would say uh-uh-uh, you weren't listening or you're lying and so what you have there is something called a majority consensus. So provided more than 20, a majority agree. You have a yeah. majority consensus that approves that transaction. Okay, So they, they all agree that that's a valid transaction. If three or four of them got together and decided to lie, or if some of them died, it wouldn't matter as long as you had more than 20 or so approving and, and, and all agreeing. And of course, every villager would remember every single transaction because that was in their interest. So they said, okay, I know who owns that rice stone. I knew the other day he gave some of it to this person um, and again the fact that some of them would forget was covered by the fact they had 40 or so and that was much better system than having like a village elder who just remembered everything because at some point he would die uh, or he might misremember so that was the way that they solved that without pens and paper and technology and so that if you came to the island as a Donald Trump of that era and wanted to buy it uh, you could interrogate that database or that collection of, of memories and you'd be able to trust the information that was contained within because you had this consensus, okay? Mm-hmm. So what you have there is you don't need to trust any individual one of those villages. You can trust this, this majority consensus. So actually it's, it becomes a trustless technology or a trustless system in this case. So that's essentially exactly how blockchain works. It's a distributed ledger. So every one of those people in their memory has a ledger, so a record transactions which is all the ledger is Mm -hmm. and the fact that it's shared out across all those people it's distributed it's a distributed ledger Uh, and so that's exactly how blockchain works Um, and instead of people of course it's computers or what are called nodes in the bitcoin um, network at the moment we have about 22,000 23,000 nodes and each one of those nodes has a very big it's actually an excel spreadsheet type thing uh that records every single bitcoin transaction since the beginning of time so that that excel spreadsheet is now gigabytes in size and very very heavy but that's essentially uh, how blockchain works and so what it means is it means that you don't need intermediaries you can so this is obviously how bitcoin works mm. is that you can uh, transact without ever needing an intermediary in the middle and you can always trust the accuracy of the information within the Bitcoin ledger because it's if you wanted to so match up with all of the others in the network and it'd be rejected uh, just in the same way as the, the villager who pretended he got the rice stone would be rejected. Does that, that make sense? That is the best explanation I've heard <laughs> to date. And a brilliant little story. Great story. It is a good story. It is a good story. I've completely stolen it. It was the book that I, it's a book called Bitcoin and the Future of Money by a guy called Dominic Frisbee that I highly recommend everyone reads if you want to learn more about it it's written in 2014 it's a bit out of date but dominic is a writer for the money week so okay. he's an economist but also a comedian which is an odd mix uh, but it means that the book is a genuine page turner um <laughs> and that was the first book that i read that i was like ah, i get it now so hence i stole it and i'm repeating it now although i've just credited him so it's like... <laughs> so obviously crypto over the last well uh, over the last 10 15 years has change the way uh people have viewed things and crypto is like 
up and down crazily. But obviously at the moment, there's quite a big hype around cryptos and the different cryptos that are emerging, such as uh, Dogecoin and some other ones. Um, how, how does that how does that affect you how do you see over the last six months you know it's, it's been crazy um in in that crypto world how does it affect me in, in my job or emotionally or okay so <laughs> my job so i um i generally tend to advise companies uh, much more around the blockchain technology rather than cryptocurrencies so cryptocurrencies, um, as you as you've rightly alluded to, there's thousands of them. A lot of them are fraudulent, or not necessarily fraudulent, but science projects, inventions of um, from people's minds, and they're highly volatile. Um, definitely do your do your homework and make sure you understand any cryptocurrency project technology before buying it, um, because there's a lot of there's a lot of uh, rubbish out there. So I, I generally focus a lot more on the actual the underlying technology. And a good way again to think about that is to think about blockchain as like the internet, and cryptocurrencies as like internet startups. So they need the blockchain technology to work, but they're they're fundamentally you can set them conceptually so um i yes there's a lot of volatility a lot of the volatility of course is around speculation so people uh, market forces people thinking this is the next uh, next gold rush uh, and bitcoin another factoid is that the price of bitcoin was originally tied to the amount of electricity that it required to create one or mine one and so it was a few pence uh, or cents right back at the beginning, uh, around uh, 2010. And now it is through market forces and speculation, the price has shot up, which brings you on to the next really interesting point about what is value and how how is value created? Because that's something I get all the time, which is there's nothing behind a cryptocurrency. Why is it worth so much? Mm, um, but that, yeah. that you could obviously say the same could, about a bit of paper, which has got a fire. Exactly. Yeah, yeah, exactly. There's actually, if anything, there's more value in something which is backed by uh, mathematical proof than by, uh, yeah, by essentially a government promise that, that there's nothing at all behind it now. So, um, yeah, so it's, it's definitely interesting, but I never, obviously, I'm not, um, I'm not allowed to give investment advice. So I never advise people on buying cryptocurrencies are much more involved in now the world of NFTs. So non-fungible tokens, which we can talk about. Um, and that is obviously there's been a huge amount of buzz around that in the media recently. And that is a form of token. So not a cryptocurrency, which is a medium of exchange, but a, a token, which is, uh, yeah, has these unique attributes in that it's they're, they're completely unique. Basically. So just going back to your career, why law? What what got you into this world in the first place? Well, my first is a good question. My first, so when I was 18, I had the most boring first half of a gap year uh, <laughs> ever in that I did a, uh, so I finished school and I got accepted onto this uh, scheme with, uh, and sorry, I didn't mean to slate this organization, but let's say a top accountancy firm. No, I can tell it was, it was KPMG, uh, which is a, a large, uh, one of the big four financial services firms. And it was a huge opportunity, 25, just 25 people nationally were selected to do it. Wow. And so I did it and I was an auditor at the age of 18. I went from a village. So I grew up in Marlow. I went to school there, which is a small village community. Went from there to Canary Wharf and I was put on the Citigroup, which is a huge bank auditing them as part of a big team. And so I had to take meetings with these like 45 year old account. I look young now. When I was 18, I looked like a child and I was in a suit that didn't really fit me. 
um, and being looked from next, I think, um, and being and, and having to go and query these account managers control procedures being like, are you doing everything properly here? Is it safe? Uh, and then just send me a who are you? Um, and so it was a lot of, um, it was very hard work. And I realized that I didn't want to be an accountant. And so I went to university. I did history and French, uh, which I loved. Got to do a year abroad in the south of France under the Erasmus program, which is one of my biggest regrets about Brexit. I think that's disappearing. Um, and had a fantastic time. And then realized that I didn't want to do numbers, but I, I panicked because I thought I wouldn't really... I didn't just want to be a history teacher. So law seemed like a good bet. And I did the, I was very lucky that in my my final year, I got a training contract from this law firm called Linklaters. Uh, and that I would have paid or did pay for my studies, the GDL, which is the conversion course into law that you have to do if you don't do a law degree, um, which is, it's an accelerated law degree. So it's, you do a three-year law degree in nine months. Um, although every single law student will say, that's not true. Uh, because you don't get to go into all the depth that you would do in three years, of course, uh, and then something called the LPC, uh, and then I went into, yeah, into, into practice as a law firm. But um, it was uh, I always thought that I was I was okay with whether to think about being a barrister. So I did a mini pupillage. Mm. I really enjoyed that. But there are uh, essentially you still you still need to be privately funded, I think, to be a barrister because it's very hard to make any money at the beginning. You're self-employed right. and you're reliant on solicitors giving you work. And because you don't, you don't really know what you're doing at the beginning, no one gives you any work. <laughs> so you have to, uh, you work for older barristers, something called deviling. And uh, it's very well, like you don't earn very much money doing it. And so when I had the solicitor, the training contract being a solicitor, uh, it was a bit of a no brainer for me. Um, it was my best option. Uh, but yeah, it's um, that was really how I got into it. And mm. in many ways, I'm absolutely not a typical lawyer. I've done all these personality assessments. And I remember one of the leader, head of HR, one of my firms saying, if I read this, I would never think you were a lawyer. <laughs> um, because I score very, very low on uh, the, the kind of area that is loves it, like loving attention to detail and picking over every apostrophe. Like that, I just, that just bores me to death. What I love is the uh, the more the commercial side is strategic positioning and using law is just a small tool in the toolkit when you're when you're working in corporate and the commercial world and the technology world. Well, that leads us nicely into, you know, what is your average day? What are you actually doing as a lawyer within the world of blockchain? Gosh, uh, OK, well, I can I can tell you, there, OK, there is no average day is what everyone always says. <laughs> that's so that's, that, <laughs> that is true. Um, however, I can give you a run through of uh, a day yesterday, I guess. Uh, yeah, so, um, so a lot of what I do, especially as I've been building a practice, is business development, certainly. So it is talking to uh, businesses about their understanding of so I, I have different kinds of clients I have and broadly you can divide them into two camps there are blockchain companies or businesses and that is what they do so for example I work with a company called minima.global which is a very exciting new form of blockchain protocol so like the bitcoin protocol it's a base layer it's a whole new blockchain and so i advise them on everything from fundraising so we had a big discussion yesterday about uh, they're working through a fundraising round at the moment um, and essentially helping them uh, work through that they what are called they use these instruments called saft simple agreements for future tokens um, so drafting those, making sure, and these documents don't really exist. So we have to make them, make them up by adapting traditional legal documents. 
Um, so we had quite a long call about that. Um, I had a call with uh, a certain national rugby team yesterday um, around <laughs> uh, around uh, NFTs. So these are, again, this idea that you can create like digital trading cards. So if you remember Premier League stickers at school um, and what people are doing now is taking short clips. So the, the NBA has done a lot with this in America of like someone doing a slam dunk and making that something unique and selling it. And they have uh, value. Yeah. So, so again, it's really like, it's a crazy idea that it's like, well, anyone could watch that on YouTube or anyone could. Yeah, it's kind of can be right. So, and the way to think about it is, well, anyone can view the Mona Lisa, but someone owns it and it's quite cool to own it. So that's the way you think about, do you get it right? So, uh, so for example, we're looking at maybe doing an NFT of a certain world cup winning drop kick. Um, and and creating that uh, and then selling that is not straightforward and I I can't talk too much about it it's okay we can put an early bid in Um, we're we're both um, big rugby fans we'll put an early bid in (laughs) oh really okay cool well uh, we can have a chat about that (laughs) but yeah there's that and then um, (laughs) uh, so it's understanding around giving advice so I actually I've also created a consultancy called McCaw Consulting, which mm-hmm. is to give advice around the, the technology and the strategic piece of it. So not just the law, but there's loads of law involved as well. So like license agreements, IP rights, who owns what, um, and then also um, uh, the law, the, so, sorry, regulation, like if these are these instruments regulated, is it legal to create these things? Are they securities? Do you have to register with the Financial Conduct Authority? All that sort of thing. So, and if then, you, if yeah, you, sorry, just interrupt. If you own one no. of these N- NFTs, is that right? NFTs? Yes. Yeah, yeah, NFTs. So yeah. You own one of them. Then, if somebody wants to use that on any sort of social media or a website or anywhere, does yep. that incur royalties? If you yeah, it? it does. Yeah. Wow. Does. Okay. And what's really, really cool is so it's for artists. It's amazing. So if you park the idea of the film clip, for example, the, the easiest example to get your head around is digital art. So art, since the time when people hung paintings in churches, since mm. the Industrial Revolution, really in the printing press, uh, it's been very easy for people to replicate art, and it's it's sort of lost some of its value and what people talk about is the aura of being around a unique or an original piece of art has certainly mm-hmm. disappeared in the digital world because it's just, oh, it's another JPEG, whatever. Um, well, now you can create unique, and you might have seen there's, there was an auction, Christie's auctioned off a painting by an artist called Beeple. I think it's $69 million. Someone paid for it in the end. Wow. Um, and this was a digital piece of art that anyone could have seen on the screen. But the fact that there was only one of them that saved onto the blockchain which is again this immutable ledger so once it's on there it can never be changed or moved um and this is only one of them so the person that bought that gets this feeling of like yeah that's mine so i might and and you can then choose you can then tell people i want to take it off you want to take it off your site um or um i want i'm happy for people to see it because actually the value increases the more people look at it and like it that drives uh, appreciation in the in the price which means that then they can sell it at a profit later um, so the really exciting thing for the artist is that not only do you get this the idea that you get some of the aura back and excitement for the people who come and look at it and the prices can go up but also you can get a share of the revenue every time it's on sold 
So that's coded into the technology. So at the moment, if an artist sells a physical painting, he only gets paid once. Mm. But the way this technology works, actually, every time that's on sold, so the person who buys it sells it at a profit of 300%, um, because it's gone up in value, then that original artist still gets a cut, which means it's really, it changes the whole uh, economy for artists. and means they they get a bigger slice of the pie, which is really cool. That is amazing. Wow, that's like yeah. mind-blowing. <laughs> it is. Oh, yeah. It's it changed the way ownership work. works of like everything yeah. almost. It, it can do, yeah. And uh, I mean, it's, it's super complex. So I work with the Law Commission, which is the statutory body appointed by Parliament. So appointed by government that advises Parliament on how the law should change to take into account these things. And it's really com- complicated. So how... So I've given you one example of a digital painting, um, but actually there are other examples where someone has like painted a BMW mm-hmm. uh, and made it all look really cool and then taken a photo of that and sold that as an NFT uh, and then saying that you also get the BMW as well uh, as like a, a freebie if you buy the painting. But there's no law around how that works. Uh, around, and if you then on-sell it, how the transfer of ownership works if it's an assignment or whatever, there's just nothing there. And often there's nothing written in a contract when people do that. It's all just code that actually doesn't cover any of the law. So we're working with them to figure out WTF, uh, how does the law apply? And there's no no case law yet. It's all brand new. It's all, the technology is is accelerating, basically far outstripping uh, legislators' ability to A, understand, and then B, actually create law or guidance about how this works. Um, because every day something new comes out it's super interesting what so that amazing. was the first half of my day <laughs> yeah it's kind of crazy um yeah sorry you're gonna say something I was yeah, still what going amazing to, to be in you're at the forefront of of all this this change and these yeah, things and this world of law can't even keep up with it's super exciting and it's not been so I've got some advice to your listeners about how to get into this position um Mm. and it's not it's not straightforward and it requires a certain amount of perseverance but it's very doable um uh and I'll finish about the rest of my day yesterday because it was this is why I missed our our date yesterday it was a very (laughs) cool day um but um so basically yeah so when I came back uh, and I'll be completely honest because this isn't an an ego trip for me because I've had really challenging times in my career as well I had pneumonia um from working too hard and that's partly why we left to go to the south of France uh, was because I just burnt out completely um and needed some time off and then gradually got back into it um, but but basically my the desire to specialize in something that no one else really can do was a form of protecting myself from basically um, having to work all hours as a lawyer, which is often the case. It, is, it can be very hard work. Mm. I thought if I can really understand something that few people understand and become an expert in that, and don't forget expert is a relative term. Mm. So it's actually a lot easier to become an expert in something than people realize. And in fact, if you read the top, if you go to Amazon, pick any subject and read the top five books, if you're extremely keen, read the top 10 books on any subject, you will be a master of that subject. Um, then there comes practice. But basically, if you read 10 books on a subject, and I've tested this before, I've signed up to go on like um, on debates and panel events, knowing nothing about the subject and just read before going and then tried it. And it's actually then becomes quite easy. So I'm I'm now an advisor to the World Trade Organization, the World Economic Forum, the Law Commission, all this field, just because four years ago, when I came back from France, 
um, I had been working as a French lawyer, uh, came back to England and was basically, they just don't take into account the time that I had spent doing that. And so my, I basically, my pay grade level was really low and I had a family to support. Mm. And so I was, uh, the jobs I saw, everyone was basically offering me pretty, that basically it wasn't really working. And so I thought it's going to take me years to get up to the level that I need to be. And I can't really, I can't I really can't really afford that amount of time. So thinking, okay, well, if I, if there is a subject that I can find, and this is, I was naturally interested in blockchain. If I can really learn about that, and that is, will become a value to people in the future, I could in a couple of years, really sort of accelerate my career development to a place where I'm in a quite a unique position. I stress this, I had no idea at the time that this would work. <laughs> I just thought I'm going to have a go at this and see if it does. Mm. Um, and I can give your listeners a bunch of resources for why I believe that would work and, and the tools that I used. Yeah, um, but that was really where I where I started. And, and then it has been a grind. And I, I was, um, again, to be completely transparent, I was made redundant from one of the jobs, that one that I said that was corporate and blockchain. Mm. Um, it wasn't so much, they didn't actually officially say the official wasn't I made redundant. They kind of said, this isn't working out. Stop talking about blockchain. <laughs> um, <laughs> uh, and me saying, okay, I, yeah, I do just really want to do blockchain. But that, that was a moment, again, I was like, shit am i doing language sorry um am i doing the right thing because no one no one's really telling me that this is the right thing to do um but just having this sort of belief that at some point um people would kind of wake up and it would and and also the timing of the technology uh would take off and then i'd be in a really good position and that mm -hmm. has now happened but really just this year uh it's suddenly all kind of taking off which is mm -hmm. um obviously it's, it's hugely exciting it's a little overwhelming as well Okay. Uh, I'm not gonna lie, um, but it's super exciting. Yeah, because you're not wrong. Because obviously, Bitcoin and crypto has always been a little bit shady up until more yeah. recently, when some of the larger um, car companies decide that they are going to take Bitcoin and they're not going to take Bitcoin. <laughs> um, yeah. yeah. Obviously, if companies are going to accept these cryptocurrencies, surely every company would more or less need a lawyer specializing in that currency and how it's working in their company yeah uh probably <laughs> yeah so more and more large so to finish off my day yesterday i'm now actually working with two film studios as well in from the us uh so i won't name drop but they're ones that you would know mm -hmm. um and they exactly have kind of come to the same the same conversation saying as we've looked for lawyers and there's no one really that's saying that this is what this is all they do um, and I work for in a law firm of 25 people in Bristol and Bath, and I'm now working with these film studios in LA, which is just mind blowing. Um, because again, it's like they now exactly what you said. They're saying, "Shit, we don't understand this stuff." One of them, one of these, not one of these studios has 500 lawyers. Uh, 500 lawyers. Yeah, which is bigger than bigger than a lot of law firms. And if they're a big uh, as an internal company, legal team, and and out of all of them, yeah. Probably some yeah. high-end lawyers as well, some highly educated lawyers. Oh yeah, yeah. There, are, I'm working with people that are way better than me. Like I regularly, so the insecurity or the imposter syndrome is something mm, that yeah. is a daily, a daily challenge because um, I'm 36 now, and I've been doing this for four years now, really. But I, I regularly come up against people who are, yeah, 
super accomplished in their fields, really competent lawyers, and often who don't like to feel like they don't understand something. So it's a lot of um, not just ego management, but really making sure that people feel at ease with what I'm talking about and that I'm not there to kind of pull the wool over their eyes or uh, score a point on them or anything like that. But to, which is always why I try and start with education and try and just say, look, yeah, guys, I didn't understand this at the beginning. This, these are some of the stories and the, the analogies that help me understand it. Maybe they'll be useful for you too. Um, that's what, and actually making it relatable and understandable is the first barrier. Um, because otherwise, if you don't understand it, they fear it. And, and with that, yeah, it's just, oh, but it's scams. I've read this article. It's, you know, we don't want to go near that. We don't want to be seen. And, and that's been, yeah, kind of a constant battle, definitely. Sounds like, I mean, what a day. To, to be yeah. doing, you know nfts <laughs> that's you know. why i missed that call. yes yeah. oh, well, i completely forgive you <laughs> um so but actually you know as working in this field um you know what are some of the uh, personality traits that you see in yourself that really help you to to thrive and have put you in this position to number one go into a field that you had no clue about a few years ago and learn it to such a degree where companies with 500 lawyers are now coming to you for specific advice. When you say it like that, it sounds entirely overwhelming. Um, cool, yes. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it does sound quite cool. Um, so yeah, there's personality traits definitely, but there's also there's things that are completely learnable. Um, if that is even a word, I'm going to say that's a word. Words are my tool. Um, it's definitely not just about being someone who is naturally confident and able to go and, and throw themselves into the, uh, I don't know, lion pit or something and come out winning. Um, it's, there's, a, there's a process to it. There's a process of, um, and this, all, this, this whole thing started for me um with a guy called tim ferris i don't know if you know about tim ferris yep, yep. uh you know tim okay so I, read I read his, his book yeah okay so i read his book before our work week when i lived in montreal um i think about 10 years or so ago now and um realized then that uh that he's very clever at deconstructing skills and deconstructing um i think what he calls the minimum effective dose about how to get to a high level of efficacy without necessarily just slogging your guts out. Um, and he then launched the podcast, which is the single best education resource that I've ever come across, where he interviews, top, I think it's about 450 episodes now, each about three hours long, so that's long form. And he interviews top performers across different fields about what makes them tick, what what where have they struggled how do they deal with insecurity how do they deal with anxiety do they have a meditative practice and hint 80 percent or more of them do have some kind of a regular meditation practice so oh. it must work and it does because i have one um <laughs> and um but just like you know how do they do it what's their biggest failure what's their favorite failure that's then led to a success um all that sort of thing and I just listen, I've listened to almost all of them. So you get this like direct access. I probably haven't listened to all that. I've probably listened to 350 or so. Mm. But you get, so it's like the founder of Netflix, Arnold Schwarzenegger, uh, Jamie Foxx, all these people oh, that wow. are incredible. And the Jamie Foxx one, if you want a start of a tent, is incredible. I think it was the most listened to. Um, but just like how Jamie Foxx, for example, created a, a party for Puff Daddy, or P. Diddy now, sorry, uh, for $400. That was like one of the best parties like how he was able to <laughs> hack that uh you know stories like that you're like okay the system can be gained these are shortcuts or these are ways you can do things so i i feel like those are my uh, mentors or people that i i learned a lot from 
and seeing what they were able to achieve and the kind of backgrounds that they came from uh, and what they had to overcome uh, made me think that, yeah, okay, this, this is possible. And what's in their toolkit? Like, how do they deal with imposter syndrome, anxiety, stress? Because if you can't come up with what like really good ways of dealing with those, then you fail because it's too hard. It's too stressful. Um, and these things don't go away. Like life doesn't become less stressful. Um, whatever you do, life is always stressful, right? Uh, and there's always going to be inherent anxiety in trying something new. Um, so how do these guys deal with it? And like there are common things like going for long walks or running. So I exercise is, a, is an absolute must. Uh, my thing is I go running most evenings as a way to kind of clear my head from the day and set a buffer between the day and the evening. Um, but yeah, then also having some kind of a mindfulness practice. Um, and you think like if it works and then what's the philosophy that most of these guys know and love and it's stoicism seems to be the number one. So I read a book or several books by a guy called Ryan Holiday, one called The Obstacle is the Way, about how to reframe obstacles as actually learning experiences. So then things be don't become stressful when you come up with a problem or something goes wrong. It's like, okay, well, how can I learn from this and do it better next time? Um, all that sort of thing. So I, I feel like I've been, and this is the, the lesson here is um, start working on yourself mm. right now mm. without necessarily knowing what you're doing it for. And without necessarily having anyone telling you that it's working. And that's really, really hard to do. Um, there's a fantastic YouTube video that I think I've watched maybe 50 plus times by a, I think it's not, it's a disservice to call him a motivational speaker, but his name is Les Brown. Okay. And it's called You Gotta Be Hungry. It is the single best 45 minute video. It's a talk he gave, I think, in the 80s. Rosa Parks was there, very famous okay. Rosa Parks. Yeah. Um, about uh, tools and tactics to kind of the hustle and how to overcome obstacles and, and to succeed. And the key message there is start working on yourself. Success will come. It's not, a, it's, you don't need to know how. You just need to know that if you keep incrementally working on yourself, asking yourself questions like, am I better than I was yesterday? Mm. Simple things like that. Like, am I 1% better than I was yesterday? There's another great mm. book called Atomic Habits, which is about this as well. Like, if you can get 1% incrementally better each day, the sum of that at the end of the year will be that you are significantly better. And, and just start working yourself. And what that what you then start to do is then the next thing, which is this rule of you're the average of the five people that you spend most of your time with. Yes which is an incredible, I don't know if you come across that, but I love that. It's like, if you, if you want to upskill in any area or areas, surround yourself with people that are doing what you do. Um, and then the question is, well, what, you know, how do you contribute? How do you not lower their average? <laughs> um, so uh, that was really my thinking about the UK is like, okay, I want to get into blockchain. I don't just want to read about it. I need to hang out with and work with people that are actually doing it. So I joined this great event called the Crypto Curry Club, which is started by a lady called uh, Erica Stanford, which is have a curry and a beer and talk about what you're working on in blockchain. That's cool. And so I made some great connections through that. Obviously, the pandemic has shut it down a bit, but Erica is incredible. And she's built this amazing community of people. So my first clients came through that. Um, and then gradually, just through spending a lot of time with these people, repeatedly like level up and upskill um yeah to the point where now I feel like I'm not really faking it anymore there was a lot of yeah. that at the beginning fake it till you make it um but now I really I feel like I can talk the talk uh, sorry and walk the walk <laughs> <laughs> uh, you know um 
because I've spent so much time. Um, so when I'm talking to uh, the technologists, I know that I know the law because I've been talking to uh, Sarah Green and the Law Commission and the FCA. When I talk to the Law Commission, I know that I understand technology because I've been talking with the people that are doing it. Mm. So like in each in each situation, I feel confident for some reason. Um, and that really helps with the imposter syndrome because you've always got something. Sorry, that yeah, was a massive so. monologue. No, it's, no fine. it's good. It's, fine. it's good. Um, for you, what would be the biggest positive you've had out of working in this industry? Uh, I guess, I mean, it's working with people that are beyond the bleeding edge uh, in, in both the technology. So really trying to change the world. Um, cool. I founded my own company last year because someone was once described as an entrepreneur trapped in a lawyer's body. I think I am naturally highly entrepreneurial. Um, I think it was Tim Ferriss really that started that, planted that seed. Um, but um, yeah, I founded my own blockchain company last year and we're working now on a, a huge carbon offsetting project. So there is a, the world is in trouble, as you've probably read, mm-hmm. um, and it will take systemic change from corporates, not just from government saying things, if we're going to become carbon negative uh, and not burn as a as a, as a as a world. Um, and one of the key problems at the moment that we have in carbon offsetting is there is a huge amount of fraud. So carbon offsetting is where um, for every uh, kilo of carbon that you as a person or a company produce, you plant a tree or do something to capture the amount of carbon and put it back in the soil yeah. so that it doesn't uh, make our accelerate climate change. The problem is that a lot of these the credits that are out there that people are buying, so airlines and governments will buy to say, okay, well, we've created 100,000 tons of carbon, there's nothing to show that what they're buying is actually real. And uh-huh. so we've built a blockchain platform that will record, make it transparent and say, yes, we, we've planted a tree here or actually we're working a lot with hemp, which is the uh, so the Jersey hemp uh, community okay. uh, farmers. That is one of the best natural ways to capture carbon. So it's not just not just for fun. It's actually really <laughs> good for uh, other things. Uh, obviously, yeah, there are CBD benefits, but it's very, very good at capturing carbon. So we're working with uh, in fact, we've just signed another big day, um, our first deal with a band that I can't mention it. I don't think, uh, had, yeah, it's a band that you would know. Uh, they're about to go on a world tour of the 147 venues, mm-hmm. um, and they want us to offset their carbon transparently. So mm-hmm. we'll add a QR code to tickets. Fans will pay an extra pound or two, and then the the whole the carbon created by the tour we will plant a huge amount of hemp and and trees uh, to offset that. So I would say the highlight has been has been using my knowledge and contacts um, to bring that to life. And we're working with just some incredible people um, to bring that and, and to bring that to market now. Um, and then obviously uh, winning, being able to win a client like uh, insert name of film studio or insert name of yeah. um, a national rugby team. Um, uh, that is incredible as a 25 person law firm i mean there were bids from the, the top law firms to do it and we were able to win that work from them because because of the specialist knowledge Amazing. so it's yeah it's um it's super super exciting and um yeah i, I would say that's a good answer and, and on the flip side of that what would be one of the sort of negatives or less favorable aspects of the industry 
Man, have I got loads. Uh, so industry, <laughs> so, well, of my career or... Of, I, it would um, be the, the world of law, I guess, would be the best one to do it for. Okay, world of law. So law is still a very challenging profession to get into um, because, um, well, for a number of reasons. It's it's challenging to, first of all, to get into now because um, there's a, there are always more people than there are training contracts. Uh, so it's it's always going to be highly competitive. I think Linklater said something like 8,000 applications for 120 places. When I did it, it's now a lot more than that. Um, and it's a very grueling process to get into it. And then once you're there, you're required to uh, bill a lot for, you get a fantastic quality of work and great. Uh, and this isn't speaking just, sorry, about the firm that I work for, but of any big law firm, you're required to bill a lot to pay your salary and also to pay back the cost of your training and etc. Mm. So it's it's very hard work without a doubt. And at the beginning, um, you don't really know what you're doing. So it's highly stressful because you I was on deals of two billion plus often wow. um sort of by myself or, or with a few other people, um, not always by design, but it um you you're placed in positions of immense responsibility quite quickly and that that's very stressful. Um, if you can come through it, and um, not everyone does, a lot of people, from, and, and myself included, I chose to stop after four years. Um, it's, uh, well, to stop at that level and then to change tech. Um, yeah, it can it can be a very rewarding career. Um, but I think the sooner that you can get to a level where you understand your subjects, the better. Uh, and that only really comes through hard work in the early years. So the first five years or six years of being a lawyer is hard work without much in the way of um, reward in the sense of like oh yeah today I got to work for this fantastic client and change their destiny a lot of it that, that's a huge generalization um, yeah. I'm sure people would disagree on that but there, there can be a lot of grunt work involved in, in getting to the point where you have your 10,000 hours or whatever experience where you become a master of your subject and then the goal of course is that you get autonomy uh, which is where you then don't have someone um, breathing down your neck, but actually you can choose the kind of work that you do and the kind of clients that you work with. Uh, and that's where I am now. But again, not I, I've done my time, I feel. Um, but now I really get to kind of pick projects that I work on, uh, ones that are generally trying to improve the world in some way uh, and, and the subject that I love. Mm. And what are two tips for somebody listening to this and thinking, oh, I'd love to get into this? What is something, two <laughs> things you'd suggest they could do? Uh, start reading. So um, there, are, there is, a, as I say, I would start off with really yourself trying to understand the subject. Um, so the fact the start of a 10 is that book, Bitcoin, the Future of Money by Dominic Frisbee. The next must is a book called Blockchain Revolution by Don Tapscott. I should really contact him and try and get a portion of his sales because I recommend it so much. Um, <laughs> but then um, if you read those and the second one, you can obviously use Audible if you can consume um, information better through audio, by all means, listen to stuff. Um, but really start to read articles, go to websites like Coinbase, Cointelegraph, um, start reading articles, interacting with people in the community, join Discord channels. So if you want to learn more about NFTs, one of the top platforms at the moment, uh, this is meant to be a plug, but it's uh, wax.io. So like candle wax, wax.io. Mm -hmm. uh, you can join their Discord channel for free and then start looking at what are people we're talking about in the community what are the upcoming drops uh so there's a there's a spot one coming out or oh, sorry leonard nimoy because it's not official um but like what are people talking about what's the terminology they're using 
And then when you don't understand stuff, just look it up and be patient and accept the fact that initially you're not you're not going to understand everything. But be curious and just keep reading and keep making sure that you get to the point where you could explain it to your dad, which is <laughs> always my test. Or like, or to someone who, or my wife. Um, I'm, I tried it on my four-year-old, but that's a little bit too low above, uh, or high above. Um, but but to get to the point where you feel really like you understand it, and then once you have that confidence in yourself, you can start. Uh, yeah, basically trying to writing articles yourself, which is the next step. Publishing those on LinkedIn. Uh, commenting on other people's posts, starting to build your network. LinkedIn is just a great tool if you want to get into this as professionally. Um, comment on other people's posts, start to get a dialogue and start to learn from them, attend events if possible. Uh, and just do what I did, which is you're the average of the five people you spend most of the time with, spend time with people, learn more, and then it will just kind of come organically. Um, it is there are, I'm one of the first, uh, I think, to do this. There will be many, many more uh in the future so th there's a huge opportunity here if you're willing to put in the time now uh, and learn about it um yeah you'll be able i think you will be able to write your own ticket in the future because as you said and i haven't even gone into all the other things that people need help with smart contracts is a really big one um so if you can understand uh, how this technology works yeah there'll be lots you can do and uh would you still one. go into this industry knowing everything you know now uh so would i go into law yeah or into both into law and blockchain yeah yeah absolutely i mean i mean i'm in love with the blockchain uh it's it's my life so i'm i'm very very passionate about it uh, and i think law is a fantastic skill to have so it's your when you say like what do you what do you bring to the table when you're talking to technologists it's law uh so it's a fantastic thing to have a string in your bow uh, it gives you a lens through which you can view the world. You can you understand risk, you understand strategy, uh, you understand uh, negotiation, all that sort of thing. It's a fantastic thing to be trained in um, that you can then bank and go on to do something else later in life if it's not for you. So uh, yeah, I, I I wouldn't I wouldn't change. I have some issues with the industry, but I wouldn't change the subject. And uh, yeah. Well, thank you so much for taking the time to come on and chat to us. Well, we could literally talk to you for hours. Um, it's <laughs> super interesting. And um, yeah, really appreciate your time. Not at all. Thank you, guys. And uh, yeah, sorry, that was mostly me talking. But, um, no, yeah, it's really brilliant. Yeah, thank you. Um, where can people find you and your law firm you're working for? Yeah, so I work for Stevenson Law. Uh, that's Stevenson with a PH. So if you Google that, uh, you can easily see it. The best place to find me is on LinkedIn. So I don't do all socials because it exhausts me. So I don't really tweet. <laughs> um, I do spend a lot of time on LinkedIn. It's something that really is, yeah, it gives a lot back if you're willing to invest the time. So um, I can share with you my, my LinkedIn profile. But yeah, my name's Will Folks. I'm wearing a cardigan controversially in my photo, um, <laughs> which caused a lot of stir. Um, but yeah, so that's that's the best way to connect with me. Awesome. Well, thank you so Thanks much for coming on. Not at all. Thank you very much, guys. Appreciate you taking time too.